I'm Robert Bean, and this is Focus, Purpose, and Leadership. I decided to create this podcast because in my 40-year career in the advertising and brand strategy worlds, I've come to learn about the fundamental importance of clarity and purpose, or in my terms, the value of having a single organizing principle, one that influences a business's culture, its products and services, and its reputation. In this series, I'll be chatting with CEOs and leaders who have put it into practice whilst developing their own successful businesses. In this episode, I talk to Eric Partica, founder and CEO of the Chilango Mexican restaurant chain. We met at their original site in Islington's noisy and bustling Upper Street. In it, he talks about his passion for product quality and how, even in the toughest times, they refuse to compromise. If you've never tasted one of their burritos, do yourself a favour. It's not described as a stampede of flavours in your mouth for nothing. Eric, 12 years, nearly a teenager, the business. Mm-hmm. Can you take us back to the start, uh, either when you first met Dan, or perhaps more importantly, when you first realised you thought there was an opportunity in doing what you do? I get asked this question quite a lot. And the reason Chilango started and the reason it's what it is today uh, goes back to Dan and I forming you know, a, a pact or a business partnership really, really, really early on. So we were working together at Skype in its very early days. And that was just an absolute rocket ship of a journey. Mm. Um, we joined Skype and there was 30-some people in the London office. Within um, a bit more than a year of joining, it was sold to eBay for a multi-billion dollar transaction. And, um, and we got so fired up that we, we, we knew, based on the experience in that environment and the excitement of it all, that we had to do our own thing. So we just we, we literally had a handshake across the street from Skype's office in a cafe one day where we agreed that um, whoever had an idea first would tell the other. And, uh, and then if we liked that, we'd start that business together. <laughs> Great. And that's, that's literally why this business started. So it, who it, was it? You, you or him that had the thunderbolt? So, so handshake in place, uh, packed, sealed. And then one day as I sat uh, on my sofa in, um, in a studio apartment at the time, and I thought, when did I have the most fun in life? And it was when I had worked in restaurants and bars. Because I thought about this place, La Bamba, that I was going to in college for burritos after the bars. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I really miss those burritos. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had this light bulb moment, and I thought, wait a second, there's no... There's no you know, place to get a good burrito here in London. And so I went, I went back to um, the office the next day and I, I said to Dan, I, I have an idea. How about we uh, go into Mexican food and open up a burrito place? And then he got so excited about it that he actually quit Skype ahead of me to, to start looking for our first site. And that first site is where we're sitting right now, so this Upper Street restaurant. So yeah, that's the great. That's the journey. And so here we are, just twelve years later, with eleven now, isn't it? Eleven mm-hmm. sites, which is a pretty good strike rate looking back, isn't it? I mean, one a year from little funding. Yeah, you write the business plan and then you throw it out the window, mm. I guess. Um, 
a myriad of things happen along the way. We've kind of weathered two different economic storms. We have some great people, great product, great brand. All restaurants are profitable. Our like-for-like sales are positive. So we're in a good place to accelerate our growth now. But that's through a lot of trial and tribulation over the years. Well, perhaps we could come back to that. I mean, I'd sort of give you fair warning that discussing some of the mistakes along the way might make more interesting copy than yeah. the, the endless success. Because, you know, there's lots mm. of the success. Mm. But it might be quite interesting to go back and go, Definitely, I wish yeah. we hadn't done that, or I'm pleased we did that. But before we get there, can I, can I just talk about the, the product first? Uh, well, two parts to it, actually. What do you describe it as? I mean, it's more than Mexican fast food. or how do you, What nomenclature do you give it? Yeah, quick service Mexican. I describe the, the food as restaurant quality food served at fast food pace. Yeah. Burritos, tacos, nachos, you know, salads. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly my experience of that is, and, and the restaurants themselves are laid out that way, aren't yeah. they? So uh, the operative word in that was quality then. I mean, I certainly remember conversations years ago with you guys, and you'll forgive me for having forgotten the numbers, but the breakdown of cost in the product was way disproportionately in favor of the food, the quality of the food. I mean, it was out of kilter. Initially, when we started, our food cost as a percent of sales, uh, in some weeks, was as high as 50%, yeah. which is not a sustainable business. It's, no. um, it, it's not even a business. Yeah. It's uh, hosing away money. Yeah. Um, now it's about 25%. And now after, you know, food and labor taken together, um, we still walk away with 55%, uh, which is um, just pretty, you know, pretty remarkable for a business of our size. But yeah, it didn't start that way because I guess our our philosophy was if if you start with enough goodness and greatness and kind of chisel down from there, you'll end up with, you know, something far greater than trying to continually, you know, improve or polish, you know, the masterpiece. So start with something great and and work your way down. And what I mean by that is a few things. So we chose to source certain certain parts of the menu or ingredients which are absolutely critical to the flavor directly from from farmers in Mexico so that we could guarantee the quality of the product, uh, such as the chilies that go in our meat marinades. Um, We've used world-class culinary talent along the way. Nuno Mendez is a Michelin-starred chef. He's um, both a a friend of the business and an incredible contributor in that he did a lot of our initial menu development. And then on an ongoing basis, um, another friend of the business is the former senior uh, development director for the fat duck so so we we don't just put forth a you know a, a simple menu and and try to keep it as static as possible to you know maximize the profit so uh, on a quarterly basis we're also putting out new things on the menu experimenting and and that comes with costs as well um, we also see it positive reflected on the sales side, though, too, in that it attracts more people in. That, that, that was um, one of the big takeaways from working at Skype. Product quality first, wrapped in a brand that people will love second. 
So you, you, were you conscious of that from the start then? And, and that was kind of yeah, spoken so, about between you kind of daily, oh, as it were. Yeah, absolutely. So the food quality and, and specifically taste, mm. because it's ultimately in our belief about flavor, was the main focus for the whole year before opening and uh, still for the first um, year or two after opening to the point that everything else looked awful. But within five months of opening, you know, the food was so good and we had so many rave reviews that um, suddenly we're cooking you know, on national television with Tanner Ramsey and um, invited to, you know, to participate in, the, in a show at Time Called Market Kitchen. And around the same time, uh, we had our first big investment offer, which is a good segue to our first massive mistake which was... Um, <laughs> I don't even need to ask. Go on, well, tell us. <laughs> well, had we not got that offer, we had basically run out of cash, underestimated our costs, over, overestimated the revenues, you know, and that, that food quality saved us in the end. You know, not only attracted uh, on the PR side, you know, the, the, the TV appearances, of course, driven by all the raving reviews from our guests and fans at the time, but... It was also the thing that um, gave the prospective investors faith that the rest of the business would take shape, because the, the most important thing, yeah, was great tasting yeah, food, it was, was delivering where it had to. Yeah, yeah. and so uh, over the years, then to get, have got that balance more, the the fiscal balance in the product makeup, without compromise. How's that come about? Then is that just sheer volume means the 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 way the way you can buy helps even out the balance or what have you done less waste so it was tough in the beginning because as i said we were losing a lot of money and it was well known in the market that chilango didn't make any money but we stuck with it and as our volumes grew our purchasing power grew so we were able to get some of the ingredients at a, at a lower price as our expertise grew um, we came up with new ways to create and change the process in which things were created that would enhance flavor through our own experimentation through the advice of um, some of the Michelin-starred um, culinary talent that sits behind us. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, well, again, we'll come back to that mistake and, and maybe others in a bit. At what point in the development of the business was the brand crystallized in your mind to a point of articulation and you put useful usage that you could start using it to build a team for instance or to position or was that from day one when you no. with you and dan or no so so when we first launched um the restaurant was called mucho mas just means much more sounds like a discount shop um <laughs> and it looked like one too uh, our first review online review said oh my God, who just opened this eyesore an angel? <laughs> so <clears throat> I guess the, 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 the first big evolution was the name and um, the initial design. And that was you know, the, the change from Mucho Mas to, to Chilango, which is inspired by a trip from Mexico City. The term for someone from Mexico City is a Chilango, and we, we love the vibrancy of Mexico City. So we said, why, why not have that represent you know, the restaurant? And um, that brought with it a, a very colorful palette, a high energy kind of like look and feel. You know, the first, I guess, the first bit of life, the first kind of direction in a branded offering. 
but something was still missing there. We all didn't have a common language or a way of very quickly talking about what the brand was or stood for. And then I, uh, it was uh, Mark McCullough, actually, that talked about uh, the, some of the amazing work that you had done. You know, that was probably the, ne- yeah, that was the next big game changer for us, was to crystallize that brand down to, you know, the single, you know, organizing principle, as you say, or, you know, the, its mm. essence, mm. and really, you know, nail it down to vibrancy as, as a word. And, and that not only informed the brand, but also the other side of the coin, you know, the culture. And that's where, to your point about, you know, are the people important? Absolutely. But before you have a good sense of your brand, people are important in a more functional way. Once you have a sense of your brand, they suddenly become more important in an attitudinal or emotional way. Hmm. And so we, we add an audition element to our interview process to uncover vibrant personnel. It was one of the best interviews I, I still remember to this day. was um, So we had this question in, in the interview process, uh, bring along your you know, your favorite t-shirt to the interview. And then during the interview, we'd ask the person to present their t-shirt and different people do, you know, really crazy things. So they, they might sing a song, they might tell an elaborate story, but this one particular guy, I said, so did you bring your favorite t-shirt? And he's like, sorry. And then he unzips his shirt and underneath is revealed a t-shirt that says, I didn't have a favorite t-shirt. So I got this one made. I just thought genius. Great, yeah, yeah. That, that, it flushes them out, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So, so vibrancy for us became the official kind of brand flag. I mean, it was something that was already there. We just hadn't yeah. given it a name. But once we did, you know, then the goal was to, as if it was a paintbrush, is our food as vibrant as it can be? Are our people as vibrant as they can be? Are the restaurants as vibrant as they can be? And the felt sense for our guests is that your world should be literally brightened up by the vibrancy of Chilango. So, you know, in a poetic way, it kind of made things super easy. And then um, it allowed us to start making decisions faster. So another example would be we tend to lean towards the bolder flavors. And you might say, oh, well, doesn't everybody? No, they don't. Um, a lot of people looking for mass market propositions will really water things down. Mm. And I don't mean water them down in a cheap quality way. I just simply mean... No, go for the middle. Uh, uh, yeah, a, mm. a flavor that will work as well for, say, a five-year-old as it will for a 55-year-old. Mm. And that's quite a wide range. And uh, so we'd be testing chicken marinades, and we'd get a chicken marinade and be like, ooh, that's, that's, that's a little spicy. Or that's, that's, you know, that's, that might be a, you know, a bit, bit too much. And then in that moment, we'd say, and therefore, that's the one. It's great, isn't it? The, yeah. the, the, the magic in name, they say you don't understand until you can name it. And it's so profound, actually, that, that, yeah. that by placing a name on it, on whatever it is, it starts to take you down these paths. You know, it yeah. saved you from yeah. watering down in that instance because yeah. you gave it a name. Yeah. And the really exciting thing now is how we've more recently extended what does vibrancy mean from a cultural point of view. So initially, vibrancy was simply, does the person have a vibrant personality? Do they have the hospitality gene? Do they have infectious enthusiasm? Do they just smile naturally? And that's all very kind of in-the-moment stuff. 
But then we started to think more, a bit more philosophically on what, what does it mean to live vibrantly? And um, that just opened up, you know, this incredible space that we're in now where, you know, to live vibrantly means to, to really live life to the absolute fullest, right? To live a, a full life and really, I, you know, I picture the world like a lemon and you just want to squeeze every last drop out of it. <laughs> and so when we interview people, we're trying to uncover, you know, what, what, what's, the last, what's the last book you read? What's the last thing you learned that really, really excited you? Tell me about a recent adventure that you went on. Tell me about a time where you were showing up, you know, quite boldly in the world or encouraged someone else to do the same. These are mm. ways of evidencing mm. someone who kind of flies the, you know, the same banner of living a vibrant life. Mm. And, um, and that's quite exciting from a mm. culture point of view. And we've recently supplemented this as well with our start of a life skills academy where the aim of it is to just elevate quality of life for everyone in the company, totally independent of skill sets required for working at Chilengo. These are skill sets required to just be a great human and to reach your fullest potential which again goes back to living a vibrant so, life. So uh, but tell us about that a bit. That's a, an Chilango aca- so, own academy, you say. Yeah, so what we do right now, so everyone, everyone is buddied up with someone else. And it includes coursework like Productivity 101, Sleep 101, um, Willpower, Motivation, Habit Formation, Self-Care, Nutrition, Overcoming Procrastination, Overcoming Perfectionism, becoming anti-fragile <laughs> but guess what everyone loves it oh, of course yeah, i bet and the simple thought is that wouldn't it be awesome if the person who comes to work here at age 18 thinking that's going to be the typical transient kind of stepping stone job two things could happen equally wonderful so one is they stay on and what was going to be a stepping stone becomes a career and they think oh my god this company surprised me in such a way and it it literally improved my life and i'm I'm living a more full life now as a result or they leave which is fine too but they reflect back and they go man that time at chilango that i was getting a job at a burrito company and i became a more productive person i don't procrastinate a lot more excited about life you know, they take away things that, again, they never would have anticipated. Mm. You once said to me that one of the things you do with the notion of vibrancy, it sounded like you personally do and have had to do, is to keep to over-communicate it. I, I remember it was the phrase you used. Is that still the case? I mean, does that never stop because you've always got new people coming in or people forget or whatever? You're still over-communicating or is the communication now more sophisticated and subtle as per what you've just explained to us yeah so um that's that's one of the secrets and what i mean by the secrets is that i'm a strong believer and obviously more people should be doing it but the the fact is a minority of companies i think do it and even those that do it i call it 99 percent versus one percent so i think 99 percent of them will go ahead and figure out what their one word distillation is and then it unfortunately sits on a shelf because it's completely worthless yeah unless you do what the one percenters do Hmm. 
And that's three things. And I've already talked about one. So one is you've got to take it like a brush and literally paint it across all the key pillars of the business. No, number two, you have to over... So the, yeah, the phrase is over communicate it. What I mean is you, you talk about it so much that it's almost like you self-indoctrinate. <laughs> um, but you, you, you talk about it at, at every opportunity that you can. That's not vibrant. Um, well, that's very vibrant. You know, or um, which partner should we go with? Hmm, they don't seem very vibrant, do they? And if you do that as a leader, then what happens is everyone else starts doing it. Yeah. And now everyone just over-communicates vibrancy yeah. in the company. And then the last thing you need to do you need to regularly hunt for misalignments because it's never perfect and you'll always walk around and just using ourselves as an example because it's just easier to talk about it. You always walk around and you'll, you'll say, oh, that's not vibrant. Or, that's not vibrant enough. But that's okay. That's, that's just normal. It's, it, it's your job to just you know, constantly try to pull things back to the line. That's what, that's what we say. You know, the line is vibrant, so you've got to constantly pull things back. And so on a quarterly basis... Um, you know, one of the most you know effective meetings we had with regard to brand alignment was a um, a meeting about uh, food vibrancy, and everyone who joined the meeting was tasked with bringing to the meeting three examples of things that weren't vibrant with regards to our food. It could be the packaging, the food itself, how the food was served, how it looked, whatever, with the goal of cutting those things out like cancer or um, you know fixing them. That's a great discipline. Yeah, you've done that more than once, have you? Where, where, yeah. yeah. Practicable, isn't it? Rather than sit around talking about the ideal, which is abstract, here is something that by definition is not ideal, that equally by definition we can do something about mm-hmm. by at least stopping it mm-hmm. or improving it. I mean, it's an interesting reverse twist way of doing it. We're, we're kind of running short of time, I think, and I just wanted to cover... One broad area and and then try and link that with the final bit. The broad area is we are witnessing the demise of not just the high street, but retail and not just retail, but food retail within it. And you appear to be going in the opposite direction. I'm quite interested talking about why that might be. Uh, And then perhaps we could finish with thoughts and observations you might have for others who are in this trade young ones starting out whether that's mistakes you've made that we alluded to earlier or other observations I'm sure people would find that very very helpful maybe the two things are related but perhaps we could start with what is it that you're doing to Canute like stop this tidal flow from running you over and that might include uber and deliveroo as part of that strategy i don't know yeah so so the biggest thing impacting the restaurant sector at the moment is uh, the consumer demand for convenience so that's coming in the form of ordering ahead and then uh, just walking in and grabbing the food and not necessarily seeing it made in front of you Um, and then home delivery and um, similar to (laughs) what amazon has um you know has um has done for consumers across a range of sectors. You know, this is, is now happening in food. And we're super well positioned uh, for a couple of reasons. So one, burritos were born onto the world as a delivery product. In the north of Mexico, families would put food, you know, lean meats and veg in a, in a tortilla and hand it over to, um, 
one of the workers in the family who'd consume it hours and miles later in a field somewhere. So with the dawn of delivery here, we're sort of like returning the product to its roots. Yeah, great, yeah. <laughs> um, and um, as delivery is booming, um, so do our sales, uh, because burritos, again, are well-positioned for this, this segment. They deliver super, super well. And they also hold their heat if you order ahead, so it's sitting there waiting for you at the restaurant. You know, it doesn't, doesn't lose anything. And, um, and then within the space, because of all these investments in food quality and because of the brand recognition that we have within the burrito segment, you know, we, we command uh, you know, the highest premiums um, in terms of pricing power. And yeah, I'd say that's, that's the biggest thing. And um, thankfully, because of um, some decisions that we made in the fa- past about brand and quality, we're experiencing literally the best results we've ever had since we've opened right now. Um, in the midst of all the chaos that's mm. everyone else is experiencing, so yeah, so very grateful for that. In terms of advice for someone looking to to start, I really believe product, you know, then brand is is, is the way to go. You have to have a great product, um, a great tasting product. If it, it if it's food, a great functioning product. If it's a piece of software. Um, you know the product needs to be stellar absolutely and then once you're up and going for a while you know and and I think you need a you know a little bit of time because as I said before the brand it's a discovery process rather than a creation process and the reason you need time is you need time for the group to work together for things to germinate and for there be for there to be something to discover um, and that only that happens through time. And then, you know, obviously, get you in to do the harvest. But do you, yeah, of course, it goes without saying. But, but the, the, do, do you think that then for startups in particular, it, it's quite hard, isn't it, in the very early days for them to be crystal clear about the brand? I mean, I, what you're suggesting, and it, my experience actually would back that up too. I think one can have a notion of it. I think and you have can a, have a notion. Yeah, have a and good I th- attempt. But. I, I, I think you can. You, you need allegiance to brand attributes, yeah, yeah. such as are you about quality or price? Yeah, you know that that, yeah. that sort of thing. But very basic things yeah. like that, and then grow into it. Yeah, and then and then it it will happen. And um, if you keep searching, yeah. yeah. And then the other thing I'd say is, um, I think entrepreneurship is is super glorified. <laughs> And it's really hard work. Mm. I mean, it will it will nearly kill you. You know, if you read a book called Mastery, same title, written by two different authors. So Robert Greene wrote a book called Mastery and George Leonard wrote a book called Mastery. And that's what it's about. It's about being able to put your head down for a long period of time and keep plugging away. And uh, a decade will pass and then things will start, you know, looking good and making more sense. And a matrix kind of, develops in your head where you're suddenly able to connect um, you know various ideas and, and thoughts from one industry or another and kind of form um, your own way of, of thinking but uh, yeah that, that, that mastery is a, is, is a key element and a, and a last thing would just be resilience you know there's a great uh, Japanese proverb um, uh, fall down seven times stand up eight mm-hmm. and, um, and that's what I tell myself you know on the days when it's not feeling great. <laughs> mm. 
Well, I'm kind of glad that you've ended up on that note, actually, because in my mind, I was going to say that I've been around the business a while now, and you and Dan managed to talk about it and deliver a product in such a way that makes it look easy and fun and vibrant, and this is all a great laugh, you know, let's, get, let's all be part of it. But I've also seen the other side. I mean, I remember the early days, and, and since there have been times where it's not been easy. So it's to your credit, actually, that you're not just still standing here, sitting here, but also saying what you're saying, because it's not, um, it's not easy, is it, no. far from it? No. Especially an operation like this with lots of moving parts. Yeah. Very useful and, and fascinating and interesting. And, you know, this formula that is... I talk about this all the time. Nothing kills a bad product quicker than good fill-in-blank publicity, brand, advertising. It came from the advertising industry, that saying. And I'm forever saying this to people, especially startups. You've got to get the product right. If you do nothing else, you've got to get the product right. Yeah. But then it's wrap it round with the brand and then and then have the resilience and determination and be a one percenter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and that, That's the kind of... Um, and stick to it. You know, nice, do, easy, one, two, three, isn't it? Do the 10-year haul. Yeah. Okay, well done. Thank you, Eric, so much. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again, Eric. Please do subscribe to the podcast in your usual podcast app to get new episodes when they're released. If you have any comments or questions, don't hesitate to get in touch with me. It's robert at robertbeanbranding.com. Thanks for listening.